0: Well, David, it's uh, time flies when you're having fun, and um, 20 years since we first had you come to the life into the life of our church, you and Jody. Um, for a lot of folks here, they won't understand your humble beginnings. Uh, before we get you to speak to us today, do you want to just? refresh us with your story as to how Steiger came to be and even tell us where the name Steiger came from. That would...
1: Yeah <clears throat> well um, hello everybody and it's uh, again I want to say what a, how much this church has been such a blessing to our my family to our ministry all these years so thank you those of you that have been pr- lifting our arms up in the battle and I really feel feel it and Craig and Mikhail have been amazing supports to us. Uh, God first called me after I finished university in the States to Amsterdam. It was in the eighties. And uh, that's where I met my wife, Jody. And our two sons were born just on the edge of the red light district. Uh, We had to teach them not to touch the needles on the streets from all the the junkies that lived in our neighborhood. And uh, we were in a real crazy kind of atmosphere there. It was during the whole uh, punk movement in the city. And, uh, I felt like God wanted me to start a church to reach people that would not come to church. And a lot of those were the people involved in the whole punk scene. So it was kind of prepared me to speak to you. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so I was thinking, how are we going to ever reach these people, you know, that have such a negative idea about Jesus? Cause they'd sell t-shirts, uh, with Jesus on the cross and blow would say, I don't love you anymore. Sign Jesus. And so they just thought Jesus was just this fascist religion uh, that had just trying to hurt, you know, sounds like a lot of Kiwis, actually, that I know. And so we had a lot of all-night prayer meetings out in the forest. But unlike New Zealand, where you have such beautiful weather, especially up here, uh, where the weather is always so beautiful, in Holland, it's often cold and raining. And so we go out into the forest at night, into the cold, rainy nights, and say, God, how are we going to do this? It was during this time, I felt like I was supposed to start a band as a way of going to them to talk about Jesus, and I thought, okay, but I'm not a musician, how can I start a band? So I decided to be the singer, and uh, my drummer said he found his guitar, so I don't know where he got it. and we didn't have a cymbal to put the, uh, we, we had one cymbal with a big bite taken out of it, but we didn't have a stand to put the cymbal on, so he tied a rope from the cymbal to the ceiling. And then the drummer hit it and it swang back and forth like this and it hit him in the head and he started bleeding. And I thought, wow, special effects. <laughs> and um, anyway, God gave us this way of going to their clubs to present Jesus to them because they would never come to church. And at the same time, we started, uh, started a church on an old boat behind Central Train Station in Amsterdam and the address was Steiger uh, 14, which means Pier 14 in Dutch. And that's Mm. that's a very quick explanation how we started. And now it's grown and evolved into what we uh, reach in the global youth culture, which is this this, uh, secular humanistic world we live in today where people no longer have um, even the most basic ideas about Jesus and about truth. I mean, I was talking about this morning how People now think that things are uh, like facts, there's no such thing as truth, it's what you feel, how your sex is no longer your um, biology, but what you want it to be. Uh, How suicide now is one of the second most causes of death in the the United States, which is, I know it's been a problem in New Zealand for a while, but now it's a worldwide epidemic. You You have so much brokenness as a result of this global youth culture. And that's who we're called to reach. You want to roll, mate? I'll just yeah. leave you to it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, man. I didn't know what to do. Um, I, well, this would be my last time I'll speak here, so I'm going to really go for it. Um, I have some books here. We have our Steiger team. Are they here somewhere? You want to stand up? Some of them. These are our New Zealand guys. They're, they do all kinds of crazy stuff there in Wellington last week, reaching out to the. The scene there, they're at the the Gay Pride picnic yesterday. They do all kinds of amazing stuff, so make sure you talk to them. Um, I have some of my books here. One is um, Revolutionary, Ten Principles that Will Empower Christian Artists to Change the World. So this is not like about how to play your guitar, but what if for every hour you spent practicing your instrument, you spent another hour seeking God? What would happen then? Or what gives you authority on stage is what you do off stage. And so we talk about the whole area of being a a vessel of of gold, not wood, clay, or silver that God can use for any noble purpose. So it's about letting God bring his holiness into your life. All kinds of cool stuff in there. So it's not just for artists, but but you should get it. And uh, anyway, this is Rock Priest. It's about how the ministry started, how people were spitting on me. Actually, the first chapter is about how people were spitting on me in Russia during our show. So it was like a rain of spit coming on you. And it's... um, when people spit on you, you try to sing with your mouth closed. And uh, actually, we have a, right as I speak, we have a big event in Moscow that's happening now. Our, our first uh, compact school in Moscow. We have, we have an, a, a, just a move of God in Russia. It's unbelievable. Every, almost every week in 20 different cities in Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, Kazakhstan, places where it's illegal, except for Ukraine, it's illegal to preach and they're doing it. And we're seeing amazing things happening. Some of you need to be involved with this. If you go to our table, you can find out how. This is a a book my son wrote, Ben. I have two sons. My son Ben wrote, Jesus in the Secular World. So if you're interested in in how to reach this postmodern secular world we live in now, you should get that book. This is a podcast that we do this is Chad Johnson. He's from Nashville. He worked with some of the biggest artists, artists in the music industry. Uh, this is Luke Greenwood. He's our European director. Um, that's my son, Ben. He's the, he's the creative director of my band. And that's some homeless guy um, that we're trying to help. On our podcast, uh, our last podcast, we had Brian Head Welsh from Corn. I don't know if you know his story. He's one of our a regular con, uh, contributor to our podcast. We're gonna have Cy Rogers, who I don't know if you know who Cy Rogers is. He's like probably one of the biggest experts in the world today about the whole transgender confusion thing. And we just talk about how do you as a how do you, as a follower of Jesus today, live in the world we're in today and how do you bring the love of Jesus to people. So I so I check out our podcast. It's every week on you can get it on iTunes and wherever you can find podcasts. Um So we just did a tour with my band, No Longer Music, a few months ago in Colombia, so I wanna show you the video, because I still am in a band. I've been doing this for 100 years, but I'm still in a band. Why not, right? Yeah? So, you ready? All right, so here here we go. Colombia needs Jesus.
0: Hundreds of thousands of immigrants have crossed into the border fleeing economic crisis in Venezuela. Tensions and violence continue to escalate between police and immigrants who are viewed by many as a danger and economic burden to the country. A heavy presence of cocaine continues to foster gang violence and drug addiction throughout many areas. Until 1991, the Roman Catholic Church was recognized as the state religion. Today, an ever-increasing majority view God and the church as legalistic traditions of the past. Still, many are desperately searching for hope. No Longer Music started as an outreach to punks in Amsterdam in the 80s. Since then, we have traveled all over the world and used music and theater to present the gospel outside of the church. 2018 ended with a 12 day, 10 show tour of Colombia, and the results were amazing. So, we're about to start, uh, start our soundcheck here in Bogota. And the government came to us and they they said that they want to shut down everything because we don't have one paper. So we're trying to do our best and we need to pray about this. So, Lord help us to do this. sitting on a bench. So we went up to them, what did you think of the show? Oh, we didn't watch the show. Were you here? Yeah, we were here, but we didn't, we weren't paying attention. I saw that one of the guys had like this, his arm was wrapped, and I was like, well, what happened to your hand? And he said, oh, I fell, and I can't move my hand. Maybe God will show that he's real, because clearly my words aren't working. So I prayed, and and he just started taking the bandage off just like moving his hand all around. He's like, oh, my hand's better if so I pray for all these guys to receive Jesus.
1: We were created by a passionate Father who loves us and he still heals people. In every concert that we've had here in Bogota, we've seen people power of Jesus! <laughs>
0: Dos jóvenes venezolanos y me robaron el bolso con todas mis cosas. Tenía mi sueldo recién puesto en la cuenta de ayer. Finalmente tuve dinero aquí en el bolsillo de Milagro. Nos tocó, le dije al al taxista que tenía solo 6 mil pesos para pagarle. Y dijo que no había problema, que nos iba a llevar hasta el lugar. Y realmente llegamos a la oración de fe. Ustedes fueron la respuesta a algo que yo estaba pidiendo en mi corazón. Cuando paso por acá directo a una reunión más para mantenerme 24 horas más sin consumir alcohol y drogas, Todo el, la atracción de ver el, el evento y me muestran una vez más que es el amor de Jesucristo. Esta experiencia hoy, en esta experiencia hoy recibo a Jesucristo como el camino, la verdad y la vida, esas palabras ya toman un sentido. importante es que el show sea en la calle y no dentro de una iglesia y creo que son unos valientes por hacer eso además me ha mucho a seguir a vacilar, a ser porque no me gustan las cosas de eso, por muchas cosas que pasan en mi juventud, pero venía en el transporte y sentí un paso en mi muy grande, no sabía qué hacer se ajoran en el transporte pero no sabía realmente qué me pasaba pero el pasajero como si alguien se hubiera muerto cuando empecé a ver hecho en que se trataba de hechos pues pero casi lo de la empecé a sentir alegría alegría Sentí que algo algo pasa en mi corazón se llenó de paz por análisis so you receive Jesus tonight attempto estoy so great Really? It's a
1: really big station, okay. um, and, and they don't know we're Christians.
0: Perfect! Not only were we able to share the gospel with over 11,000 people during our 10 shows, but God opened up a door for us to present who He is on one of the largest TV stations in all of Latin America, as well as on a major secular radio station. Our time in Colombia was unbelievable. Hundreds gave their lives to Jesus. People were physically healed every night, and God connected us with key influencers and gave us access to major secular platforms. Literally thousands of people heard the gospel during these 10 action-packed days. While we are overwhelmed by all that God did, it is clear that it's just the beginning.
1: So we had an amazing time in Bogota. It was I mean, I can't exaggerate the things. I never saw things like this before. People would actually come to one of our concerts and they would get healed. They'd just come there, get healed and go, what's going on? Tell us what your message is. Stuff like that. People from the, um, from the media would come. Police would break down and cry and receive Jesus. But we weren't just seeing it in, uh, in Colombia. We were seeing that in Amsterdam. We've had we're doing big big street outreaches in Amsterdam. We're seeing these cynical uh, Dutch university students breaking down people. I mean, just things that are not supposed to happen. We're seeing it everywhere, and so God is doing amazing, amazing things. And not and obviously, He's not just doing amazing things over there. He's doing amazing things here in New Zealand. Jesus is powerful here too, and I think if there is ever a time. Where we needed to see the power of Jesus in New Zealand, it's it's today and tonight. I'm going to unpack that more. So I'm going to get more into that. How can we see the how can we see God's power more in our in our life? I'm going to be able to get into the weeds of that more tonight. But uh, I, it reminds me of when the, one of the first times I came here, uh, we were invited to play at Auckland University. At a student club, and they said, "Would be cool to have a some a stupid Christian band there, so we can make fun of you." So we thought, "Okay, that sounds good." So we go we go to uh, play at this club, and their intention was to to mock us. And while we were playing. The presence of God came so strongly that the bartender couldn't hold his drinks behind the bar and people were weeping at the bar because of the presence of God. That was at at Auckland University or we had this event on the Kapiti Coast in New Zealand and there's a guy driving his car uh, and all of a sudden he said he felt like a magnetic force made him turn the steering wheel of his car into the parking lot where our event was taking place. He came in right during the preaching and he came forward and he fell to his knees and he gave his life to Jesus. That was in the on the Kapiti Coast in New Zealand. Jesus is powerful, right? That's why we follow him. He's powerful. And uh, I am just being so challenged pers- personally by this, you know, because... Um, I can't go on, you know, I can't just live. If he's not real and powerful, what am I doing? So why am I even doing this, you know? And so I'm just really challenged by this. You know, one of the things that Jesus did is he was so close with with the normal people, with the people that society despised even. And because of that, the religious people were very offended by this. They thought, if Jesus was a holy person, and if he was really from God, he wouldn't be so close, so intimate with these bad people. In fact, he even eats with them. You know, and to eat with somebody in that society was a very intimate thing to do. So they thought, well, okay, well, this is clearly means that Jesus can't be from God. And it's in that context that Jesus tell this, tells this story in Luke 15, starting with verse 4. Jesus said this, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Okay. Now, like I said in the first service, I'm going to explain the parable to you, which is really doesn't make any sense because it's about sheep and I'm not originally from New Zealand. So, And I know that everyone in New Zealand owns a sheep. I know you all, all, I mean sheep, right? I mean, everyone here has at least two or three sheep. But I wasn't raised with sheep like you. I, uh, I had a dog. And so I probably, some of my sheep ideas are incorrect. But don't tell me because I've been working on this talk for a long time, okay? So here we go. So. You have a 100 sheep, and there's this one sheep that keeps running away. What is this sheep like? Well, if sheep could be dangerous, you know, if you could have guard sheep, attack sheep, if sheep could bite people, this would be a biter sheep. This sheep doesn't dress like the other sheep. This sheep, if sheep could carry a gun. This sheep has a gun. This sheep has strange sheep music. This sheep has strange sheep hair. This sheep is always taking the weak sheep off doing bad sheep stuff. I'm the shepherd. I have 99 respectable sheep. This sheep is rebellious He's a bad influence on all the weak sheep, you know. What should I do? Get rid of them. Right? I mean, after all, I've got 99 respectable sheep. What does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd looks for the lost sheep. Okay. During my lunch break, I'll get in my car You know, I'll take a quick look around the city to see if I can find this lost sheep. But I can't go very long because the 99 sheep are in the open pasture. What does that mean? It means they're vulnerable. They're not safe. They're in the open pasture. But I'll take a quick look, you know, to see if I can find this lost sheep. What does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd Looks for the lost sheep until he finds him. Until he finds him. There's no time limit. Whether it's a day, a month, a year, the good shepherd looks for the lost sheep until he finds him. Now, this is a very important aspect of lost sheep. Lost sheep are lost. That's why they call them lost sheep. Why is that important? Lost sheep go to lost sheep places. How have I responded to the places that lost sheep go to? Thank you, God, that you'll never see me there. I've heard about the terrible things that happen in those places. But I want you to know, I'm a Christian, and you'll never see me there. And you'll never see anyone in my church there. But I think if Jesus came to New Zealand, he would know the names of the prostitutes. He would know the names of the radicals at the universities. He would be aware of the people in the clubs and the scenes. He would know what was happening. He would be involved with them because Jesus loved lost sheep so much. He was willing to go to lost sheep places. I was speaking at a church one time in uh, Pororua, and uh, they said, they said, we have to go through the side door, not the front door of the church. And I said, okay, why? And they said, because the mongrel mob is throwing, was throwing rocks at people when they were coming to church. So I thought, oh, that's kind of cool, you know. So, <laughs> so we had to go in the side door. And uh, I was giving this message about how Jesus can do anything, you know, and we're all up, at the front of the church crying. I was at the front of the church crying, yes, God, you can do anything. And then I felt like God said to me, what about the mongrel mob? And I'm like, oh, so I thought, okay, I'll ask the pastor, you know, and he won't know anything. it will be perfect. So, you know, he's a pastor. Sorry, Craig. (laughs) Sorry. I'm not speaking here anymore, so I might as well just, so he goes, you won't believe it. The sister of the president of the gang goes to our church, and I'm like, great, so I go, I said to to the sister of the president of the gang, listen. Tell your brother that we want to play in their pad, but make sure you tell them we're Christians. And I thought that way he'll say no, and I obeyed God without really having to do it. <laughs> so she goes to him, tells him that, and she gets back to me. She goes, I can't believe it. Normally, if he saw a guy like you, he'd smash your face in, but <laughs> he wants you to come. And I'm going, Whoa, isn't that great? So. Uh, and then we heard that a DJ had play, played there in their club. And after the DJ had played, they told him that he could leave, but he had to leave his equipment there. <laughs> so the reason I'm telling you that is because I asked said to the church. I said, cool, now we're all going to go there and talk to these guys about Jesus. And they were going, we're not going to go. We're going to intercede for you. <laughs> so I thought, wow, isn't that cool? So they're all in the church interceding for us. So I thought, okay, then forget it. I'm taking all your equipment. So if you're not going to come with us, you know, this is called church partnership. So they're in there interceding. I said, there's their drums, there's their stuff. So we just walk in, start taking their equipment out of the church. They're going, what are you doing? I said, we're taking it to the Mongrel Mob guys because we don't know if they're going to give it back. Um, I'm sorry. I'm, this is a kind of a confession right now, but... So we go there and it was, it was pretty scary, but I'll tell you, these guys are so open to Jesus, you know, they're, and I'm like, why did you invite, why did you invite us here? I'm talking to one of the main guys and he goes, we just want to be open. You know, we just want to have, we're open-minded. We want to hear, and I'm like, man, people are so hungry to know Jesus. I am for, for, for when we first went to Amsterdam, we worked, in, in the heart of the red light district. And in the red light district, girls, prostitutes, sit behind windows. And men walk on the street like they're shopping to pick out the girl they want to be with. And so there's this one girl who was sitting behind, behind the window that really wanted to know about God. And so my wife, Jody, I would go with my wife, Jody, and I'd stand on the street, and then she would go behind the window to talk to this girl men would walk by and they'd see my wife behind the window and they would come to the conclusion that my wife was a prostitute. Now I have to tell you, I did not like men looking at her, looking at my wife that way. But I had to understand something. If my wife was going to show God's love to that girl, she had to be willing to be mistaken for a prostitute. You see, if you reach lost sheep, you're going to be called a lost sheep sheep yourself. What did the religious people call Jesus? They call him a drunkard. In Amsterdam, they would have called him a junkie. They call him a glutton. They call him a, a sinner, an immoral person because he's so willing to go to the lost sheep. What do you do when you find that sheep? You stupid sheep. I left behind 99 respectable sheep looking for you, you know, sleeping out in the cold and the rain. And if you're really angry, you eat the sheep. (laughs) Or tie a rope around his neck, drag him home to teach him a lesson. And that's exactly what I used to do. I would stand up in the bridges in Amsterdam. Then I would preach about all the bad things going on in our neighborhood. And these guys who were kickboxers would come and threaten to kill me. And I'd think, wow, isn't this great? I'm being persecuted. But what does the Good Shepherd do? The Good Shepherd kneels down and he picks up this sheep. And this is a heavy sheep, and this is a dirty sheep. And he carries it home. And Jesus said, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sheep that is found than over 99 sheep who are not lost. You Noah, know, a businessman who lives just outside of Boston in the, in the U.S. He lives in the suburbs there. He's 45 years old, has five kids, walks with a limp because he injured his his knee when he was in the army. Businessman, sells real estate. Really involved in his church, serious Christian, but he was frustrated. And he's thinking, is this all there is to being a Christian? So he thought, maybe I should be a missionary because he spoke Spanish he thought maybe I should go to Mexico. I could be a missionary there. But he felt challenged by God that before he does that, he should go on the streets where he lived and ask and pray and say, God, is there anything that I could do here? So he went out in his neighborhood and he said, God, is there anything for me to do here? And he overheard this girl talking to one of her friends. And she was talking about how she couldn't go home at night because her father was abusing her. And he kept running into these young people. And he didn't know what to do. So he went back to his house. And he told me he knelt by his bed and he's going, God, why are you showing this to me? I'm not a pastor, I'm a businessman. Why are you showing this to me? So he didn't know what to do. So he went to McDonald's and he bought all these French fries and he would go out and just at night and just hand them out, you know, to the, to these young people. And then he said to his wife said, well, why don't you invite him into our home for a meal? And then he asked if I would come and speak to them. So I walk into this businessman's house and it's filled with these young people. And I said to them, there is a beggar and he was blind and he heard that Jesus was walking by. So he said, Jesus, have mercy on me. And all the people around this blind beggar said, would you just shut up? Do you know who Jesus is? Jesus is a very important person. And you are a useless beggar. You need to be quiet. But the more they told this beggar to be quiet, the louder he got. Jesus, have mercy on me! Jesus Jesus said, who's shouting? Oh, never mind. Jesus is just that useless beggar. Jesus said, no, tell him to come to me. And I said to these young people, God hears the cries of beggars. He doesn't want you to be on the street. He doesn't want you to feel this way. And Jesus said to this beggar, what do you, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, this, the beggar said, I want to see. I don't want to be blind. And so Jesus put his hand on his eyes and healed him, gave him back his sight and I said to these young people, how many of you want to see Jesus? And they all said that they did. So I didn't know what to do, so I just, I just started to pray. And the presence of God filled that house. The whole, like the tangible presence of God filled the living room. People were kneel- Some of the young people were like huddled against the living room wall like this because it was God's presence was so strong in the house. Some were laying with their faces on the floor, weeping for hours. People were coming at like 1130 at night. We heard what's happening here. Would you pray for us too? And a ministry was raised up reaching hundreds of these young people because a 45-year-old businessman with five kids, with a bad knee, was willing to let God break his cold, hard heart. You see, God wants me to have his heart. He wants me to have his heart. He wants me to have the heart of the good shepherd. But like I said in the first service, my heart can be so cold. Honestly, my heart can be so cold. I can be in my car and I can see people, you know, walking down the street. I don't care. I can have neighbors that I've lived next to for years, years, and I know they don't know Jesus and I don't cry for them. I can have people that I go to work with. I can have people that I go to school with every day. I know they're lost. I know they don't know God, and I don't cry for them. But the worst thing, I think one of the worst things is that I can have people in my own family, in my own family that don't know Jesus, and my heart doesn't break. And, you know, you can hear something like this, and you can feel kind of like, okay, I need to have this heart. I, I don't have the heart of the Good Shepherd. I need to have the heart of the Good Shepherd. I'm going to do that from now on. But it won't work. It won't work, will it? I mean, I can't, we can't change our hearts. I can't change my heart. So that's not going to work but there is something I can do. I can repent. I can repent. I can do that. I can say, I'm sorry, Lord, that my heart has been so hard that I'm not angry about the injustice. I don't even care. I don't even really care. I don't cry for my family, for my neighbors, for my neighborhood. I'm so selfish. I'm sorry. I repent. And I ask, Lord, that you remove this heart of stone, that you'll take it out of me, and then you'll give me a heart of flesh, that you'll give me this soft heart again. And maybe, like me, you need that. Maybe you're here this morning and you know you're just become a nice domesticated Christian and you need to be broken again with God's heart. And so if you feel like this message was for you this morning, then I think you should respond. And I think it's not enough to do it in our... I was thinking, do I have people just stand or whatever? But I think it's important to respond physically because it's a... It's an act of repentance. And if you feel like you need to repent this morning, then I want to invite you to come up to the front of the church with me and kneel. And if it's hard, if you can't kneel, you can come up to the front of the church and stand. But if you feel like the Holy Spirit is asking you to repent, then just come, come now. Let's do that and ask him to give us God's heart. Let's do that. If you need to come, just come now. I think there's some that are know you're supposed to respond, but you think I can just do this sitting in my chair. And I, I want to challenge you not to to believe that. I believe it's important that you get out of your chair and you come up front and kneel if this is, if you're convicted this morning, it's not good enough to sit in your chair, I don't think. So if that's you, I, I want to challenge you to, to get up and come up here and kneel before Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are not like me. Thank you that you have the heart of the good shepherd. When I wasn't looking for you, you were looking for me. And I'm so glad that that's your heart. I'm so grateful that you are that. One. Thank you that you are the one that runs to the to the lost son. Thank you that that's what you're like. Lord, with my brothers and sisters here this morning, I just ask that you give me more of your heart. I'm sorry that I can be so selfish. I'm sorry that my heart can be so cold. And I repent, Lord. And I ask that you'd break my heart for what breaks your heart. This is a sincere prayer, Lord. I want to see the world through your eyes more i want to cry more i want to feel your pains your anger about the injustice that is everywhere lord i don't want to be indifferent so please change my heart and i pray for everyone here who's responding to you now i pray that what you're saying to them will not go away that will even get stronger when they go home today that will burn even more when they wake up tomorrow morning it'll even be stronger still Lord, you say there's a great harvest and there are few workers. Oh, Lord, look around. Look at us, Jesus. Use us, whether it's here in Tauranga or somewhere else in New Zealand, wherever you are, Lord, whatever, but just use us. Let us be your, let us show your love to people that have only heard lies. I pray that this church will start, will, it, this next season will be one of the most fruitful seasons they've ever had. Lord, I pray for my brother Craig. pray that you would refresh him, Lord. Let you just fill him, Lord. You know, it's he needs, we all need it, Lord. And I know he does too. And I just pray you'd refresh him, Lord. Put a new faith into him, a new fire that he hasn't he hasn't ever had before. Bless Michaela, Lord. She's getting a break. I pray that we just be a wonderful time for her. But Lord, we love you. Thank you for this beautiful church. And I pray that everything you've done here will just be a speck of dust compared to what you'll do through this church in the future. In Jesus' name, amen.